We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 101 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. The day after Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. Yet another win for the American League, which just owns the National League in ways that are unholy and impure. Eight consecutive wins, 15 wins in 18 games. Yes, are you aware of this? The extent to which the AL has dominated the NL in all-star games. Another American League victory on Tuesday night during which we had three Nationals and an Oriole on display, as well as, yes, the uniforms, which were atrocious. Uh, My thoughts coming up, as well as my thoughts on what I think this all-star week will most be remembered for from a Nationals perspective, Monday night's home run derby and the absolute show that Juan Soto put on. But hello and welcome to a Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast as my vacation week continues with, yes, vacation in quotation marks. And by the way, vacation is in quotation marks, not just because I'm still working during the vacation, not just because I'm still doing shows during the vacation, but vacation is in quotation marks because when you have a son who will turn four next month and a daughter who will turn one next month, vacation is in quotation marks. This is not a vacation. This is a workcation, as I'm sure any of you who have small kids or have had small kids know. You need a vacation from your vacation. This is about as much of a vacation as uh, that Wall Street Journal puff piece on Dan Snyder a few weeks ago was true journalism. But yes, I am still doing shows this week, just not the usual five shows, three shows instead, shows for Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Hopefully you subscribe to the podcast so the episodes, whenever they come out, come to you automatically. If not, please consider subscribing. It costs you nothing and really does help the podcast, as does giving the podcast a five-star rating and writing just like a one-sentence review. This show, episode 101, is a big show. This is, in fact, a monumental show as we begin the trek toward episode 200 because I have for you as a guest on this show 
a special guest, none other than the DOC, Doc Walker. Uh Uh-huh. My former tag team partner on the Team 980, a man with whom I chatted for years in the immediate aftermaths of Washington games. And I was doing the official radio postgame show for the team now known as the Washington football team. I was waiting for just the right time to have Doc on this podcast. You see, Doc is not a fan of the non-football stuff. I started this podcast in late February, right in the middle of the non-football stuff. So, you know, very early on in the life of this podcast, we had free agency to talk about, the draft to talk about, more recently, OTAs, minicamps, Dan Snyder buying out the disgruntled minority owners, the outcome of the Beth Wilkinson investigation, the name change, you know, all of the fun stuff. Doc does not like splashing around in all of that stuff. And so I was like, you know, let me save his debut on the Al Galdi podcast for when that debut can be at its best, and can be most impactful. Well, now is the time. This show is the show, episode 101. Doc, by the way, now has his own podcast, and we on this podcast will be discussing the Washington football team. I will ask Doc about training camp, the quarterback situation, the offensive line, the defense, and more. Now, I mentioned the name change. We have more on that to discuss on this show, including team president Jason Wright eliminating Warriors as a possibility. Warriors will not be the permanent name. I have a number of thoughts on that, including some pushback to what many people are saying this development of no Warriors means for what the permanent name will be. Also on the show, we continue the position group by position group breakdown of the Washington football team as our countdown to training camp continues The position group for which I will give you the three biggest training camp questions is tight end. Hey, by the way, nice to see a win, an actual win for the U.S. men's basketball team in an exhibition game. Bradley Beal and Team USA on Tuesday night finally winning an exhibition game. Imagine that. Uh, Got to one and two in exhibition play. A 108-80 blowout of Argentina in Las Vegas. Beal started for a third time in as many games. Played well, two of four on threes, tied with Kevin Durant for a team-high 17 points and team-high six rebounds. And Beal played for a team-high 29 minutes, 57 seconds. So no Wizards-itis for Team USA in this game on Tuesday night. Maybe Team USA did get the vaccine for Wizards-itis. The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, exactly. But Wizards-itis uh, was there for at least two games here. Team USA was 0-2 in exhibition play. 0-2. I still cannot get over that. You had the 90-87 loss to Nigeria in Las Vegas on Saturday night. Then you had a 91-83 loss to Australia in Las Vegas on Monday night. Team USA's head coach, the San Antonio Spurs head coach, Greg Popovich, he can make all the excuses he wants, and he got into it with a reporter, shockingly, uh, after that loss to Australia on Monday night. Whatever, old Pop. Uh, Things have not gone well so far for Team USA, but a blowout win in exhibition play on Tuesday night. You can always tweet me, at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast, at yahoo.com. I do want to thank you for uh, all of the nice messages on Twitter and via email regarding this podcast. 
reaching episode 100. Also, thank you for the very strong number of downloads for episode 100, which featured me talking Washington football team with another one of my former co-workers at 980 and Kevin Sheehan. You know, this week is turning into like a reunion week here uh, on the podcast. Email from Steve Mulhern. Al, I've been listening to you for a long time. Great show. Keep up the hard work. Thank you, Steve. He continues, I love the song at the beginning of the pod. Well, thank you for that, Steve. I appreciate that. Continue, Steve. I was wondering if you could bring Doc on as a guest to talk about his thoughts about everything going on with the Washington football team. Thanks. Take care. From Stephen Mulhern, grandson of Steve Van Buren, Hall of Fame, 1966. Wow, the grandson of the great Steve Van Buren, the legendary Philadelphia Eagles halfback and return man. Uh, Steve, my friend, I hope you're listening to this show regarding your guest request. And Steven Van Buren, you know, he had one of the best nicknames in NFL history, Wham Bam. Yes, that was a nickname for Steve Van Buren, Wham Bam. That's a pretty cool nickname. I mean, that's an old school deal, right? I don't know if in 2021, a nickname of Wham Bam would be that great. But back in the day, you know, if you're talking 1940s, 1950s, Wham Bam, I got to think, was a pretty good nickname to have. Although, it's not as good of a nickname as, say, Commission Flex. You see, if one of the great supporters of this podcast, John Grandland of Real Broker, was a running back, his nickname would be Commission Flex. John Commission Flex Grandland. And you just know that if John Grandland was a running back, he wouldn't just play running back. He'd also play receiver, maybe even serve as a return man, because he would offer Position Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron, position flex just for you. But John Granlin's top professional skill has to do with selling homes. And so if you're listening to this right now and you need to sell your home but aren't sure to whom to turn or have been trying to sell your home but aren't satisfied with how things are going or even are just thinking about selling your home, contact my guy, John Granlin, a.k.a. John G., and ask him about his commission flex. Your home, your situation is unique. And so why should you pay the same commission as everyone else? If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. Let John Grandlin put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John Grandlin has a menu of commission packages that you can choose from, including selling your home for free. Yes, you heard that right, for free. Some conditions apply. Interviewing John Granlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. Do yourself a favor and call John Granlin. He will sell your home guaranteed. That's right, guaranteed. John Granlin guarantees the sale of your home. Call John G. now. It's 703 737-6747. When you call him, make sure you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure you ask to hear more about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, the Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747. 
or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Granlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the master of commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, just like position flex. All right, so we on Tuesday night had the 2021 Major League Baseball All-Star Game at Coors Field in Denver. The American League beat the National League 5-2 as the AL just continues to whoop up on the NL. The victory was the American League's eighth consecutive win in an All-Star Game and 15th win in 18 All-Star Games. I don't really see that as indicative of anything. I mean, the All-Star game is an exhibition game. It's not a true measure of which league is better. And it's not like the American League has won the majority of World Series in recent years. A National League team, in fact, has won seven of the last 11 World Series. But this is strange. This ridiculous dominance of the American League over the National League in All-Star games Uh, Also, the uniforms. Uh, Look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the uniforms because pretty much everyone on the planet was crushing the uniforms on Tuesday night. So there's not a ton that needs to be said, but the uniforms were horrendous. They look terrible. Just go back to players wearing their uniforms from their teams. This isn't complicated. That was always one of the appeals of the MLB All-Star game. The inner team mingling that we would see, the jungle fever, if you will, that we would see, the forbidden fruit of players from rival teams being on the same team, you know, a Nationals player on the field at the same time as a Mets player, an Orioles player on the field at the same time as a Yankees player. Homogenizing players with these generic, ugly uniforms was such a bad idea. Nobody liked those uniforms on Tuesday night. Anyway, the Nationals, Max Scherzer, he was the National League's starting pitcher on Tuesday night. So Max went from not even being on the initial National League All-Star team to being the National League's starting pitcher. That's a great job by the man who was the National League's manager, the Los Angeles Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts. It's kind of a tip of the cap to the Nats since there was no All-Star game in the 2020 season. And so the Nats manager, Davey Martinez, off being the World Series winning manager in 2019, never got to manage as the National League's manager in an All-Star game. Uh, Max only pitched for one inning on Tuesday night, but he tossed a perfect inning, a perfect top of the first inning. Although in that inning, uh, Max was nearly decapitated by a hard grounder by Toronto Blue Jays first baseman, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Now, this ended up being a ground out, but boy, did that ball come flying by Max. And, you know, you think about it. I mean, these All-Star games are an opportunity to get hurt. And with all of the injuries that the Nats have had to deal with lately, would it not have been not exactly the most stunning thing ever had a Nationals player gotten hurt in this All-Star game? I mean, could you imagine that if Max Scherzer had gotten injured on Tuesday night? Thankfully, Uh, That was not the case. But like I said, I mean, that ball flew right by Max's head. Guerrero, by the way, ended up being the MVP of the game. He smashed a two-out solo homer off Milwaukee Brewers starting pitcher Corbin Burns in the top of the third. That homer was some shot. The homer going a projected 468 feet for StatCast. But, you know, I was thinking about this with Vladimir Guerrero versus Max Scherzer. Remember, Vladdy got to Max not that long ago, a 9-5 Nats loss 
to the Blue Jays in Dunedin, Florida, back on April 27th. Max got rocked in that game. Seven runs, five earned in five innings. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in that game hit three home runs, finished with seven RBI. Two of the three homers were off Max Scherzer. As far as the Nationals and Orioles position players who were All-Stars, they really didn't do much in the All-Star game on Tuesday night. You had Nats left fielder Kyle Schwarber as an All-Star, but not playing due to his hamstring strain. Nats right fielder Juan Soto came off the bench for the National League, did draw two walks. Nats shortstop Trey Turner came off the bench for the National League, went 0 for 2, including a first pitch ground out for the final out of the game. And Orioles center fielder Cedric Mullins, he was the American League starting center fielder and number nine batter, deservedly was the American League starting center fielder. That should have been the case from the get-go. Mullins on Tuesday night, 0 for 2 with a strikeout did score a run. But to me, the biggest item of the last few days in terms of MLB's All-Star Week is the Home Run Derby, an event at which Nationals right fielder Juan Soto and Orioles first baseman slash DH Trey Mancini killed it. It was so cool to see this. Two big-time stars when it comes to DMV baseball shining on the national stage on Monday night. So we start with Soto, who put on a show at the Home Run Derby on Monday night. Coors Field in Denver was Soto's stage on Monday night. So Soto was the number eight seed in the Home Run Derby. You had eight guys in the Home Run Derby. Soto was the eight seed due to entering the All-Star break with just 11 home runs this season. His first round opponent was Los Angeles Angels DH slash starting pitcher Shohei Otani, who at this All-Star break leads the majors with 33 home runs and a 698 slugging percentage. So Shohei Otani has three times as many home runs as Juan Soto has this season. Otani was the betting favorite in this matchup, and yet Soto beat Otani in what ended up being a first-round classic in the Home Run Derby on Monday night. Each guy hit 22 homers in regulation. Each guy then hit six homers during his one-minute tiebreaker period, Soto then won the matchup by blasting three home runs in a thrilling three-swing swing-off. I mean, that was really cool to see. First, just this matchup period, two of the bright young stars in Major League Baseball going head-to-head, but then seeing Soto emerging victorious in upset fashion like that, just awesome. And Soto, I mean, like I said, he put on a show. At one point, he smashed a homer that went up projected 520 feet for StatCast. I mean, that was part of the beauty of the Home Run Derby this year. It took place in the venue to end all venues when it comes to hitting home runs, Coors Field in Denver, the Mile High Air, and Soto just blasting a shot that goes 520 feet for StatCast. That homer is the longest home run in home run derby history as tracked by StatCast, which started measuring home run derby homers in 2016. Now, Soto did lose to New York Mets first baseman Pete Alonso in the semis, uh, during which, by the way, Soto's pitcher, the Nats hitting coach Kevin Long, was off in his pitches. I don't know how you watch the home run derby. I actually watched the StatCast broadcast of the home run derby, the ESPN StatCast edition telecast of the home run derby. And the broadcast did a really good job of saying, okay, this is Soto's sweet spot for hitting home runs. And Kevin Long, unlike every pitch in the semis, missed the sweet spot in terms of trying to feed Soto perfect pitches. 
for him to hit home run. So bad job by Kevin Long uh, in the semis. But look, Pete Alonso was awesome in the home run derby. And Alonso was like high-stepping as the derby went on. I mean, this guy has some gift in this home run derby. He ends up winning the competition for a second consecutive time. But to me, what this is going to be remembered for when it comes to Juan Soto is what he did in that first round matchup with Shohei Otani. That was tremendous. And then with Alonso winning the thing, who did he beat in the final? Orioles first baseman slash DH, Trey Mancini, who off missing the entire 2020 season due to stage three colon cancer. I mean, you can never forget that. Dude had stage three colon cancer, beat it, now is back to playing Major League Baseball and is having a good season. And in this home run derby on Monday night, he defeated Oakland A's first baseman Matt Olson in the first round, then defeated Colorado Rockies shortstop Trevor Story in the semis before losing to Alonzo in the final 23-22. The home run derby, like pretty much everything in MLB these days, did take a very long time. And the Soto-Otani matchup which I thought should have kicked off the broadcast, ended up being the last matchup in the first round. So you had to wait around for a long time to see Soto versus Otani. And, you know, I was kind of like, man, I hope people aren't tuning out of this thing, waiting and waiting and waiting for the Soto-Otani clash to finally take place. But the event was a ton of fun. The event showcased two of the DMV's biggest baseball stars. And the event did draw viewers. Uh, So from a television viewership standpoint, the event was a success. Per MLB Communications, the Home Run Derby on ESPN and ESPN2, the most watched Home Run Derby since 2017. But to me, with this Home Run Derby, Juan Soto, I mean, just just like seeing him do as he did, Juan Soto is young, Juan Soto is charismatic, Juan Soto is, of course, very good. Juan Soto really should be one of the faces of Major League Baseball. This All-Star Week became all about promoting Shohei Otani, and I have no problem with that. Otani should be pushed to the moon with the season that the guy is having. But Juan Soto really should be a national presence for MLB. And he is to an extent. I mean, I'm not trying to say that Juan Soto gets buried by MLB, but there really is nothing not to like about this guy. I mean, there's no reputation in terms of him being like a bad dude or anything like that. This is a guy who has joy with the game, He's excellent at playing the game. No, he hasn't hit as many home runs so far this season as you'd like to see, but I think the home runs are going to come, and he's doing well in just about every other aspect of playing baseball so far this year. He has proven himself to be clutch, right? He's already won a World Series title. He was very good in that 2019 postseason. There's just nothing not to like about Juan Soto, and uh, MLB, to me, should capitalize on that even more. Well, speaking of hitting home runs, nobody hits home runs from a medical perspective in the area, quite like Dr. George Verghese. You could say that Dr. Verghese is the Shohei Otani of area doctors. I hear, by the way, that Dr. Verghese can pitch too, uh, but he is the medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. He's a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs Surgeon. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focuses on medical dermatology and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care, including something very special and cutting-edge, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment 
that safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese is a great guy, big sports fan, and he knows his stuff. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, let us now talk Washington football team. And before we resume our position group by position group breakdown of the team headed into training camp by talking tight ends. And before we welcome on our special guest, former Washington tight end, my buddy, my pal, the DOC Doc Walker, I do want to talk about the latest in the name saga. So on Monday's show, episode 100, I talked about team president Jason Wright saying that the permanent name and logo will be unveiled in early 2022. Wright actually said this to Washington football team insider Ben Standig of the Athletic DC in June, then said the same thing to Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post in an article that came out on Saturday. Well, on Monday, we heard from Jason Wright again. So Wright does this weekly column on the team's website, WashingtonFootball.com. The column is called President's Brief. And Wright, in his President's Brief column, on WashingtonFootball.com for Monday, said that Warriors will not be the team's permanent name. Warriors has come up a bunch, but Warriors will not be the name. Said right, quote, I want to address a name that has emerged amongst our fan base, Warriors. One might look at this name as a natural and even harmless transition, considering that it does not necessarily or specifically carry a negative connotation. But as we learn through our research and engagement with various groups, context matters, and that makes it a slippery slope. Feedback from across communities we engaged clearly revealed deep-seated discomfort around warriors with the clear acknowledgement that it too closely aligns with Native American themes. Such an embrace of potentially Native-adjacent iconography and imagery would not represent a clear departure that many communities have so forcefully advocated for us to embrace, and that, frankly, we set out to do when we started this process a year ago, end quote. Now, this is significant because, like I said, warriors had come up a bunch. I heard last summer, when the name change truly was ignited, that warriors was what Dan Snyder wanted. I can't tell you with certainty that that was true, but I can tell you that that was out there. That was, as they say, scuttlebutt. And consider this. The Washington Post on Saturday evening, July 4th, 2020, came out with an article that included Ron Rivera on the record advocating for the Redskins changing their name. And Ron in the article said that the most important items for a new name were that it be respectful of Native American culture and traditions and also be a tribute 
to the military, noting that many Native Americans serve in the military. Ron also said that two of the names that he and Dan had come up with, he, i.e. Ron, really liked. So does all of that not scream warriors, right? I think it does. In fact, I think Jason Wright himself liked the name Warriors. But now Warriors is off the table for the reasons that Jason outlined. And I don't blame Jason Wright and the Washington football team one bit for having Warriors off the table. The time has come for Washington to stop with trying to honor Native Americans. And that has nothing to do with Native Americans not being worthy of being honored. That has to do with the impossibility at this point of trying to honor Native Americans without doing so being construed by some as being offensive. You're just not going to be able to do that at this point. And so forget about it. Nowhere is it written that the name of the NFL team based in the Washington, D.C. area must honor Native Americans. Honoring Native Americans has become too much of a hot-button issue, clearly. There are Native Americans who don't want the name of the team to have anything to do with them. I still do very much wonder if those people represent an extreme minority of Native Americans in this country. As I've said, one of the things that has really bothered me about this whole name change saga has been the complete lack of interest by the parties involved and the media in trying to find the truth about how Native Americans actually feel about the name Redskins. But whatever. I mean, the Redskins ship has sailed it's over, but no more honoring Native Americans. The next name of the team currently known as the Washington football team needs to be the last name. Never again can this team go through what it has been going through with this name change. And yes, while Warriors isn't necessarily about Native Americans, the name can be too easily tied to Native Americans. And especially in this situation, in the current political and social climate, that's enough to make Warriors as the permanent name not worth it. The juice ain't worth the squeezing, as the saying goes. I mean, I liked Warriors as an option. I was, though, never in love with Warriors, especially considering that already we have a team called the Warriors in major pro sports in this country, right? The Golden State Warriors. So Warriors, I think, is a cool-sounding name, but Warriors would not have been unique had it been the name chosen by the Washington football team as a team's permanent name. The names that I like the best are Warhawks, and Red Wolves, or just Wolves, if you prefer that. But speaking of Red Wolves, understand that there is a Native American tie-in with that name. Red Wolf is a famous Native American who was born in Kansas in the 1800s and died in 1937. As Dan Snyder once said of something else, you should Google that. You should Google that. Yes, Dan, thank you very much. And the spirit of the Red Wolf is a thing in Native American culture. So for all of you Red Wolves fans out there, understand that the name Red Wolves does include multiple potential Native American tie-ins. And if people want to get bent out of shape about Red Wolves being too closely tied to Native American culture, they can. You see, this is a very tricky and sensitive and near impossible process. So what does all of this mean in terms of what the permanent name of the team, currently known as the Washington football team, will be. Well, the general feeling seems to be that we now are headed toward the name being Washington football team permanently, or Washington football club, or something along those lines. You likely know how I feel about those names. I cannot stand those names as permanent names. Those aren't names. I want a name, a real actual name. The team needs a name 
a real name, an actual name, not a name that isn't a name. But I will tell you this. I wouldn't just assume that the permanent name is going to be one of these no-name names. I wouldn't just assume that the permanent name is going to be, say, a soccer-like name that isn't a name. I can tell you this. Jason Wright is smart. Very smart. And Jason Wright understands the difficulties in not having an actual name for the team. There are many difficulties in not having an actual name for the team. Everyone keeps assuming that Jason Wright is totally on board with the team having no name. I would caution against just assuming that. I also want to say this about what Jason Wright wrote. The column was a very well-written column. The column expressed very well where Wright and the team are coming from with the name change. You may not agree with everything. I don't agree with everything. But Wright communicated things in a smart, logical, and understanding way. Wright said, quote, We have given particular emphasis to engaging, listening, and learning from Native American leaders and individuals throughout the country. This process has exposed to us the very deeply held personal feelings about our previous imagery and association, and not just the simple, easy to categorize who's for or who's against polling of our old name, but research revealing the psychological effects of Native American team names on American Indian and Alaska Native youth, end quote. Okay, that stuff makes sense. The last thing anyone should want is for the name of his or her favorite NFL team to be having negative psychological effects on the kids in a minority group that already is largely ignored in this country. Also, Wright acknowledged something that some, if not many, on the pro-name chain side have not acknowledged. Plenty of Native Americans are in favor of the name Redskins. A lot of people don't like to say this. A lot of people refuse to acknowledge this. It is true. Again, this is an aspect of this whole thing that I cannot stand. This lack of interest in the truth about how Native Americans actually feel about the name Redskins. Enough with non-Native Americans telling Native Americans how they're supposed to feel about the name. How about we hear more from actual Native Americans on how they feel about the name? Wrote right, quote, We recognize that not everyone is in favor of this change, and even the Native American community offers a range of opinions about both our past and path forward. But in these moments, it is important to prioritize the views of those who have been hurt by our historical use of Native American language, iconography, and imagery, end quote. Okay, there you go. I was happy to read that. Wright also hit on the importance of not being dismissive of the team's history. And this is a very important point. Quote, let me also be clear, moving on from the old moniker does not invalidate the poignant memories so many of you had with loved ones watching your football heroes in burgundy and gold. Those are moments to cherish, and we need your help to ensure we preserve those memories under a new banner that should bring even more fans into the Washington family, end quote. Jason Wright in this column spoke to all fans of the Washington football team, not just the pro-name change fans, but also the anti-name change fans. Like I said, you may not agree with everything, but Wright conveyed things that made sense, and at least for me, made the name change process more understandable 
and I respect him for writing what he wrote and how he wrote it. One other thing with the name saga. So Jason Wright on Monday told Washington football team insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times in response to the question of how the team will handle fans wanting to wear old Redskins memorabilia, quote, we haven't yet determined how we will handle all past and remaining references to our name, end quote. You can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from DPJ. Did you see this tweet from the Washington Times beat guy? Wright refused to rule out prohibiting Redskins gear at games. Could get nasty if they try to pull that. Wow. Uh, Yes, there was a good bit of reaction to this. I'll just say this. I need to hear or see more from Wright regarding his stance on this. I can't believe that the team would actually consider banning fans from wearing skins gear at games at FedEx Field. That would be lunacy on multiple levels. That would needlessly infuriate so many people. Wright's not a dummy. He understands all of this. I want to hear or see more from him on this before I fully react to it because it doesn't feel right, no pun intended, uh, just going off on a one-sentence response that was tweeted on Monday afternoon. Wright cannot actually think that the team would be best served by banning people from wearing Redskins gear uh, at games at FedEx Field moving forward. So hopefully we'll get more on his and the team's stance uh, on this issue at some point. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get back to it. Our countdown to Washington football team training camp. Because remember, it is the final countdown. It's the final countdown. Yes, that's right. The final countdown. Washington football team training camp will begin on Tuesday, July 27th in Richmond. will take place in Richmond through July 31st. Then we'll move to the team facility in Ashburn. And so starting with the last installment of the podcast, episode 100, I am giving you a position group by position group breakdown of the team heading into training camp. We go in-depth on one position group each show. The position group for our last show, episode 100, was the defensive line. The position group for this episode 101 is tight end And the position group for the next show, episode 102, which will come out on Friday, July 16th, 
will be the offensive line because Thursday, July 15th is deadline day for Washington to sign Brandon Sheriff to a multi-year contract of having slapped him with a non-exclusive franchise tag for a second consecutive offseason. And yes, I did just say Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Scherf. Yes, that guy, Commissioner. Brandon Scherf. Uh, We are doing our position group by position group breakdowns via three questions. The three biggest questions for the position group for training camp, excluding injury. The injury question is a question for every position group. Does everyone come out of camp healthy? Okay, fine. We get that. And what I'm doing is giving you the three biggest questions for each position group for training camp. So questions to which we'll have answers by the end of training camp. Not questions for the upcoming season, questions for camp. So here we go. The tight ends. Question number one for the Washington football team at tight end in training camp. Will Washington get a contract extension done with Logan Thomas? Now, this question in many ways comes down to another question. And that other question is, was Logan Thomas's 2020 season the peak of his career or the start? of his career. In other words, was Logan's stunningly good 2020 season a one-season fluke, never to be duplicated again, or was Logan's 2020 season just the beginning of this guy being a stud tight end for years to come? But the answers to those questions won't come until the actual 2021 season. And so in training camp, I think the biggest question regarding the man who clearly is Washington's TE1 is, does he get extended? The team, of course, doesn't have to extend Logan during camp. The team could always extend Logan during the season. But given the Jonathan Allen situation and the potential for Washington to have to franchise tag Allen next offseason, if Washington really believes in Logan, it needs to extend Logan before next offseason, i.e. before we arrive at the franchise tag period and free agency. Washington signed Logan in March 2020 as an unrestricted free agent to a two-year, $6.145 million contract. How about that bargain? Two years, essentially $6 million for Logan Thomas. He came to Washington in his NFL career as a tight end, having totaled just 35 receptions on 54 targets in the regular season. And yet Logan finished the 2020 regular season with 72 receptions for 670 yards and six touchdowns on 110 targets over 16 games. Logan Thomas became just the third tight end in Washington history to have a season with at least 70 receptions, at least 650 receiving yards, and at least five receiving touchdowns, joining Jordan Reed in 2015 and Chris Cooley in 2005. There were many surprising performers for Washington last season. There may not have been any more surprising performance than that of Logan Thomas. The guy put up peak Jordan Reed and peak Chris Cooley numbers, despite entering the season again, having totaled just 35 regular season receptions in his NFL career as a tight end. Logan Thomas is going into his age 30 season. I do think that Logan is legit. I do think that Washington should extend Logan. And extending him really shouldn't cost that much money, especially considering that tight end still isn't a premium position in terms of money. The top tight end contract in terms of average annual value, AAV, is George Kittle's deal with the San Francisco 49ers, $15 million per year. That's the top of the tight end market, $15 million per year. To put that into perspective, the top receiver contract right now in terms of AAV 
is DeAndre Hopkins' contract with the Arizona Cardinals, $27.25 million per year. The top receiver contract in terms of AAV is approaching double the top tight end contract. Tight end money is much different than receiver money. Washington, if it wants to extend Logan Thomas before he has a second consecutive impressive season, should be able to do so on the relative cheap. Question number two for the Washington football team at tight end in training camp. Does Washington have quality depth behind Logan Thomas? Washington's tight end position last season was Logan Thomas and really nobody else. Logan in the 2020 regular season played on 92.65% of Washington's offensive snaps. Logan finished the 2020 regular season tied with J.D. McKissick for number two on Washington in targets at 110. Terry McLaurin was number one at 134. But get this, Washington's other tight ends from last season, Jeremy Sprinkle, Marcus Ball, and Tameric Hemingway, those three guys combined for just six targets. So Logan on his own, 110 targets. Sprinkle, Ball, and Hemingway combined six targets. That's it. Entering the offseason, we all agree that Washington needed more depth at tight end, but you look at what Washington did this offseason at tight end, Washington, as best as we can tell, wasn't in on the top two free agent tight ends, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, each of whom signed with the New England Patriots, or if Washington was in on either guy, uh, Washington clearly wasn't in on either guy that much. Uh, Washington's activity at tight end this offseason has been a bunch of small moves. Washington took Boise State tight end John Bates in the fourth round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Washington signed a project tight end in Samis Reyes, who has never played football at any meaningful level. Washington signed two veteran tight ends who haven't exactly done a ton, Dion Yelder and Ricky Seals-Jones. Now, that doesn't mean that Washington doesn't have quality depth behind Logan Thomas, but what this does mean is that Washington doesn't have proven quality depth behind Logan Thomas. Who emerges? Does anyone emerge? What about the holdover to Merrick Hemingway? Jeremy Sprinkle, Marcus Ball, and Thaddeus Moss are gone, but Hemingway is still on the team. Hemingway is going into his age 28 season. Washington initially signed Hemingway last September 17th to the team's practice squad. He spent the rest of the season with Washington, appeared in 10 games, had one reception for 10 yards on two targets. He was placed on the reserve slash injured list on December 9th due to a reported dislocated wrist that was suffered in that win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in week 13. The guy who I'm most intrigued by is John Bates. Washington lists him as being 6'6 and 259 pounds. He was a very good blocker as a tight end for Boise State. In fact, Bates, among tight ends in the 2021 draft for Pro Football Focus, was both the number two run blocker and number two pass blocker. And Bates has hands. He was not like a dynamic pass catcher at Boise State, but the guy has hands that compelled ESPN NFL draft analyst Todd McShay on the ESPN telecast of day three of the 2021 draft to say that Bates catches the ball as well as any tight end in the 2021 draft class, not named Kyle Pitts. And then question number three for the Washington football team at tight end in training camp, is there something there with Samis Reyes? This whole Samis Reyes thing is fascinating. The slaying Chilean as our friend Burgundy Blog has called Reyes. The Washington football team on April 13th announced the signing of Samis Reyes, an unrestricted free agent tight end. He was born in Chile, 
He would be the first Chilean-born player to play in the NFL. He has never played football at any meaningful level. Reyes played college basketball at Tulane for two seasons. He didn't play much, 7.9 minutes per game over 32 games. He graduated from Tulane in 2018, played for the Chilean national basketball team in 2019, and then in May 2020, decided to try what he had been told to try for a while, football. Reyes spent 10 weeks training at IMG Academy in Florida, then worked out in front of scouts at the University of Florida's Pro Day. The idea was for Reyes to enter the NFL via its International Player Pathway Program, in which players allowed into the program are allocated to NFL teams in one division in each conference. Washington actually received a German defensive lineman, David Botta, in July 2020. However, Reyes did so well at Florida's Pro Day that Washington actually signed him as an unrestricted free agent. How well did Reyes do at Florida's Pro Day? Well, I brought up previously this relative athletic score, RAS metric, that this guy Kent Lee Platty developed. I've actually had Kent on the podcast. The whole idea with RAS is to figure out a way to normalize player measurements and NFL scouting combines slash pro day metrics on a zero to 10 scale. Reyes ended up testing as the most athletic size adjusted tight end to ever enter the NFL if you go by this relative athletic score metric. Samis Reyes is the greatest athletic freak in terms of the tight end position to ever enter the NFL. Now, what does all this mean? Who knows? I mean, Reyes is an athletic freak. He looks like a bodybuilder. He has muscles in places most people don't even have places. But all of that may mean nothing the first time that Reyes gets walloped by an incoming linebacker with nothing to lose in a preseason game. My guess is that Reyes winds up on Washington's practice squad, but we have seen enough of basketball players turning into quality tight ends over the years to where Reyes succeeding in this transition should not be dismissed, right? I mean, Antonio Gates, Jimmy Graham, tight end is a position that can be learned. If you're a good enough athlete, you have the size and you have the want to, you can make this transition. Maybe, just maybe, Reyes can make this transition. But the story really is something. I mean, Samis Reyes at his introductory Zoom press conference on April 14th said that he drove for DoorDash during the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. The dude is trying to go from never having played football at a meaningful level and driving for DoorDash to playing in the NFL. Well, speaking of tight ends, it is time to chat with a certain former Washington tight end. And we are very pleased right now to welcome a special guest to the Al Galdi podcast. He is a Super Bowl 17 champion. He is a two-time NFC champion. He is a Rose Bowl champion for the 1975 season. He is my former tag team partner. He is the DOC, Doc Walker, who now is the host of his own podcast, the Doc Walker Podcast. And he is here to do what he does so well. And let's see if we remember how to do this, as it is time to talk X's and O's. Burgundy and gold. Al Galdi. Everybody, my, the biggest request I ever get is, hey, man, Galdi, God, so look, say, hey, I can't read. I, I, you know, he's got to come to us because we can't go to him. He's too big. I said, but eventually, I do believe he'll have nothing else to do. It'll be the summer. Most guests will be on vacation. 
and he'll reach out. <laughs> no, my friend. Does, I will be there for him, and then it'll get the ball rolling, and then I know that he'll follow up, and we'll probably be able to get him on. Problem is, at 8.30 in the morning, he's usually busy. If we can ever catch him in a morning that he's not occupied, then yeah, then maybe he'll gracious. It'd be great doing the, doing the uh, MLB All-Star Week, you know, following that, but beggars can't be choosing. Hey, my friend, I was waiting for the right time. This is the right time. Now, we're doing this via phone. I want you to know if we were doing this in person, I'd give you a big bear hug right now. I want you to know that. Oh, we will. We will. And as soon as you're available, you know, look, I had to go to the big league before the minors, but you'll join us on the minors. And uh, me and Solly, we've been, we, we, we talk about it every show uh, between you and Sheehan. But I go, it'll, ha- it'll happen. I said, He's got to have a slow part in his life. But it's summer. It'll be the summer. I'm guaranteed it'll be the summer. What I like about what you're doing with Solly on the Doc Walker podcast is it's not just audio. There's a video component. And, you know, over the years, I know you've done some of your best work in front of a camera. So it's been really impressive yeah, to see exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's something about being filmed that yeah. excites yeah. me. And yeah. so that's where I find I'm better in that. And I do like, um, as you and I both know, you go through a number of different, you know, the formats all change. Everything changes. Um, but I can honestly say I've never had more fun than in terrestrial side with you. It's just sheer laughter for me because it, it is so, it, this, uh, you know, you never know what, what's coming, coming up sometimes. And some of the best things happen when you can just look at a guy, see a guy and, and just do what we would do. If we were at a park, the boys club, as we grew up, it's all about just talking trash, you know, and whether it's WWE or lead ins or whatever, those things are fun. And I'll tell you one thing is you already know, cause you've been doing this longer than I have in the, in this free age market. Um, Dan Miller, um, tomorrow will join me. And as I said, we're going through this thing where when you work with people that you've worked with, like having Sheehan, who's he's always busy, but has agreed to do it. That's the fun stuff. You know, Zabe has reached out. I'm with Solly, Lynn. Our crew will never be separated. Yep. Never. The 980 crew, no matter what goes on, I just think that there's a particular bond that uh, has been established over a long period of time. And it was probably, we hit the the highest mark ever in that bus that we were in at CJ's bachelor party. <laughs> and I think we all use that as a measuring stick. And that's what I do believe to be as closest to any kind of uh, group outside of, you know, um, sports and a job that I've ever been associated with. And that's what's the, the real thrill is for me is the reunions now. And so it's all good. Well, that was in 2003. I'm assuming the statute of limitations has expired because otherwise I think we're all in trouble with that night. But uh, we'll put that off to the side for now. Well, when you talk about brotherhood, I mean, you know, Brother Koken, Yeah, I mean, we can just say Koken and we just smile. We just, that's what I'm saying is that it's an endless uh, reservoir of great memories and and just good feelings. And the good news is that it doesn't have to end. 
No. That's up to us to continue, you know, the legacy. And when Koken said, and here comes the best part, implying that he had seen it before, you said, wait a second, you've seen this before? Yeah, he's been there before. So so those are the things um, that outside of your family uh, that are just priceless. And they're they're things that well-earned because all of us have felt that we've been overworked and underpaid most of our lives. So, uh, but that's what separates it because the group is never monetary. It was people doing what drove them. It was a passion involved in it. I mean, nobody's ever been up earlier than you, but you understand it because you worked in the dark for a long time and you're very comfortable in the dark. (laughs) And uh, so it's just, (laughs) you know, it really is a good thing. And nobody can take that away from us. Nobody. Nobody. Very true. No, it's a very powerful thing. Well, it's good to have you on now because we're through a lot of the non-football stuff, which I know you just love talking about. It. Yeah. And yeah, that's why you've had me on before. Yeah. yeah. You knew it. And training camp, my friend, is coming up. July 27th in Richmond mm-hmm. is where we're starting here. Uh, yep. I know what kind of a camp you want the Washington football yep. team to have. What yep. kind of a camp do you think the Washington football team is going to have? I think it's going to be more football-centric than not. Um, Again, I have no idea. I don't talk to anybody over there. But I just think the way Ron and Jack are built, that they know. That's the beauty about having defensive-minded people in charge as opposed to the creative artists of offensive minds. (laughs) Yeah, there's no way in the hell that I would want anybody offensively inclined to involve in the program. If I could pick, pick it my way, it'd be defense first or offensively. Only offensive people, they'd be like Gibbs, an offensive lineman. And that's it. That'd be it. One, two, defense, offensive lineman. That's it. I just, it stops. I don't even consider anything other than that. When it comes to quarterback, I know that you wanted Washington to have a veteran as the starter. Yeah for the yeah. upcoming season. You wanted no more experimentation with any more rookies. Uh, how do you feel about Ryan Fitzpatrick? Well, I, you know, again, I'm blind now. So I'm feeling that I feel good. I like what I... Taylor, see, this is what Heineke did for me. He excited me. Because he could create outside of the box. It's, just, it's the same kind of trait Theismann had it. Not everybody has to have it. But escapability to me is it's extending drives. Do you have the ability to extend a drive and then make a play? So that I think he has. I mean, he's got that. I'm, I'm interested in what could happen with more time and, and, and to be able to look at it. But I'm not afforded that with this defense, if I if I want to really be successful, I got to simply do a couple of things, not turn it over and possess the ball long enough to let my guys get, get rest. I'm more of a George Allen approach when I'm blessed with the potential of a really good defense. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, I can take it either way. If, it, if, if, if if he goes out and beats Fitz out, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I don't really care. All I care about is that all three of them now have at least played in the NFL, and I no longer have to hold my breath 
unless Montez gets in and eventually he'll have to play. I I don't want to be so quarterback centric that I oh this that no it really doesn't matter because I hopefully they're building this on stops, possession, and then big plays. Yes, uh, Washington needs many more big plays, especially in the passing game. No question about that. With the quarterback situation, Ron Rivera has made it very clear the competition is Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Taylor Heineke. Kyle Allen not being brought up by Ron Rivera. Why do you think that is? Why is Ron excluding Kyle from the quarterback competition? Al, I think because of the injury and and obviously something took him out of the competition physically. But it doesn't mean he's out. And I can remember his body of work, and I was going, okay, okay, I'm, I'm all right. He, he's not a, yeah, uh, he's okay. And he'll even get better if given an opportunity. But I think it's injury-related. And also, they all got intoxicated over the fact that, you know, winning a division and then being in a playoff game and then seeing the excitement that was generated, not that it meant they were close to winning because they weren't, but it was more than we've been given. And again, don't forget, we're desperate. Our fan base is, we're desperate for success. So I'm, I'm good with it right now. It wouldn't matter to me if it was a three or one. It don't matter. We'll see it when they get on the field and there will be a few preseason games. And then once it starts, we'll see it for real. So we, we're not selling tickets anymore. You know, we're not Barnum and Bailey. Hopefully that's over. So now it simply comes down to being a professional organization that's actually trying to win a championship. And that's where I'm putting it at. We are talking Washington football team with the DOC, Doc Walker, the host of the Doc Walker podcast. So one of your favorite position groups, the big uglies, the offensive line. Looks like we're going to have two new starting offensive tackles with Charles Leno Jr. at left tackle and Samuel Cosme at right tackle, although Cornelius Lucas may have something to say about that. One of your favorites, Eric Flowers, is back and is looking like the likely starter at left guard. Still have Chase Roulier at center. Still have Brandon Sheriff at right guard. How you feeling about this offensive line, which no longer includes another one of your favorites, Morgan Moses? Oh, really excited. Starts with your coach. I mean, clearly, why I'm such a, a fan of what I see with the staff is I see results. Chicago's trash becomes our treasure. So when you get a low IQ football team like the Chicago Bears, and they release, see, when, when people that aren't good at what they do release players, I don't ever get concerned. Because when the bottom, I mean, they, they proved you. They got rid of two guys that could start here, and they can't protect their quarterback. Can you explain that? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. But we do the same stuff. So our second-round picks, really, we're, we're, we're at the top of the chart of dum-dums. But that's just what happens. It's a game where you got to make sure. Maybe the athlete wasn't ready in Chicago, and all, all kidding aside. Maybe the system didn't fit them. You never know. But here's one thing I do know. I can see coaching because it gives me results. I don't have to draft first-round picks to get success. That's why I like this offensive line. Don't forget, man, um, you know, 77 comes back. I think he wore a different number, but he may even wear 76. But I like last year's group. They fought their guts out. Yep. 
And you know I was a big fan of uh, Callahan. But what this group proved is they just got the same results with less headlines. And fundamentally, he's a great teacher. And maybe the kids now, you know, once somebody gives up on you, you reevaluate yourself. So you do try harder with the next opportunity. So it's not always that they were idiots and you're, you're a genius. No, maybe the kids decided, you know, I got this big old ass body. I've done very little with it. Why don't I try to light it up? And that's what Lucas and the guys have done. It's sharp. And you mentioned I, I'm very, very comfortable about the potential depth we have. Yeah. Now, big nasty sheriff. I don't know where he's at mentally because I don't I don't see him anymore. But they got to get that fixed because I need him to be a leader. Not he didn't have to talk, but I need him to be able to grab the rest of that group by the trousers and lift them. And I need him to take on when we play the Eagles. I mean, I, he's just too valuable. People go, oh, he's overpaid. You, you know, you know what you're talking about. Because he's got some assignments that control winning and losing in your division. That's twice in two games apiece. So, you know, they, high, high value market on him. But if he decides to pout or get hurt, we're okay. I mean, well, we, got a, we got more than quality depth. John Matsko, of course, is the Washington football team's offensive line coach. And you mentioned being a big fan of Bill Callahan. Uh, Bill Callahan is a big fan of Bill Callahan, as, <laughs> as we came to know uh, <laughs> during his time as interim head coach. Uh, the high IQ position, tight end. Man, it was a stunner to see Logan Thomas put up the production that he put up last season. It was awesome, the job that he did. What are you anticipating from Logan in his second season as Washington's top tight end? Another great position coached. Another upgrade. I- I'm telling you, man. Logan is one of those guys that figured it out and was given an opportunity, and he's the well coached. And uh, but the position is a question mark. He has Pro Bowl potential. I, I like the kid out of Boise. I like him potentially. I haven't seen the rest of them play, but I'm excited about what they have to work with. And again. Um, when you're coached well and the kid decides he wants to be good, the rest is easy. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. I like, you know, I like, I want more two tight end sets. And uh, maybe they'll have the potential to do it this year. Even the kid they got out of uh, is England, the kid's freakish body. Oh, um, yeah. Ch- uh, Chile. Samis Reyes. Chile. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's the guy I'd love to be able to hot do a Gibbs. I'd love to be able to have him Mark Rippon and put him out for a couple of years. I just love to watch him on the practice squad grow. Because physically, he's like Gronk. And um, because our offensive line and tight end coaches have a high IQ and they're good teachers, it could happen here. I mean, this is almost like Frankenstein. But, yeah, I can see that being a real possibility. If someone else doesn't rob him and take him. Yeah, the Samis Reyes situation really is something else. The guy has never played football at any meaningful level. Washington signed him as a free agent just off what he did at the Florida Pro Day. 
It's a grand experiment to be sure, but given the very good reputation that Washington's tight ends coach Pete Hayner has, maybe just maybe this is something that ends up paying off big time. That's my point. If I didn't trust, um, you know, the coaching staff, I'd say it got no chance. Yeah. Because it's just like um, Tebow down in Jacksonville. He has no chance. But he can put him in there. But he has no chance of being an overnight sensation. He might can build if he can last and put a year and a year and a half in, maybe. Because, but it's proven because the starter proved it. Don't tell me it can't be done. Anytime a quarterback plays tight end full time, that's amazing. But the kid, look what how long it took through Detroit. I think it was with another squad, maybe Buffalo, Detroit, yeah, Arizona, it's a pro- yeah. Arizona. So it's a process. You have to be given time. And again, I'm going to keep saying this in every topic we deal with. Assistant coaches are so underrated in pro football because it's where head coaches can hire all their high school friends. And so it happens league-wide. That's why so many guys never mature or they don't expand because they want to talk anything. And you can't draft a guy to college expecting to be perfect. That means you're an idiot. You got to develop them. That's why the Miami Heat and basketball are so good without megastars or a megastar because they might have the best infrastructure and training program in all the sports in terms of developing people. See, it's a big difference. And it's boring, so we never talk about it. But the key is that, I mean, the NFL is just a harbor of mediocrity. And not only management, but in coaching. Yeah. And training. We've seen it. We've seen it up close. If you got clowns in position of power, no matter what the level is, it's very difficult to be successful. Yeah, well, we've been the kings of the clown show for a long time, so hopefully that is changing. So the defense, very good last season, much improved last season, but as we saw in the wild card loss to Tampa Bay, there is another level that this defense can get to. What is needed for this defense to get to that next level? Man, I'm so glad. Man, God, I miss you. I, I'm I just I, I'm blown away at how many people have talking about these guys like they're the monsters of the midway, like the eighty-five <laughs> bears. I go to turn the Tampa field film on and watch them be dominated up front. Run the, but they ran the ball wherever they wanted to run it. They threw whenever they wanted to throw it. They blocked our guys one on one. Can I stop? Now I love them to death. I think these guys, and they're great character guys, and they all work their butts off. But let them earn it. Let them earn it. And I believe they will if you let them. And you get a linebacker. You know, if the kid out of Kentucky can play, it's a game changer. If not, our biggins up front will be, oh, and Ionitis is back. So that's that's breakthrough because I think he's the best. So when you get your best player back and you get a kid that can actually – play linebacker and fill holes and not run around blocks. Game changer. Game changer. Just like that. It can happen because they're that close. Because what those big boys do up front, and I think that Chase and Montez have unlimited talent. 
unlimited. But I got to see it. And they got to be healthy to do it. Chase's only problem last year, I thought, was groin enabled him from being dominant because he had to heal. He's human. And he's learning. But if you want to see where they are, just put the Tampa film on. I'm not saying I love them, but just put Tampa film on. And stop talking about all greats and all this crap. I mean, put the film on and you can see it. Okay? But I think they can they can be really good. And I'll tell you what, they better do it week one. Because, unfortunately, we're not playing the Cowboys in the opener, so nobody gives a crap. These L.A. kids with the lightning bolts on their helmets, they will gut you. No doubt. We saw what Justin Herbert did last season. You know, you mentioned the Cowboys, your favorite team. Uh, will you be watching Dallas on HBO's Hard Knocks this summer? No, no. And I won't be watching the opener either. I'm so pissed off at the NFL <clears throat> because I was really excited. You know, I really did like Hard Knocks. And I do love the opener. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be good. we got the world champion Bucks. Okay, who came close but just didn't make it? Who would be a great, you know, matchup? How about the Bills? How about, you know, I was just, I was just going through my mind. Yeah, yeah. Never in the world did I think a team that was a damn near dead last placed in a rotten division would be thrust upon us in the opener. So I doubt if I, I'm not even, I have no plans to even view it. It's it just, I, I, I can't believe it. And I kept thinking to myself, hey, nut. It's Dallas. It's Jerry. He gets whatever he wants. He's the smartest guy in, the, in their entire league. And he pulled it off again. So we get to watch a team that was horrible in hard knocks. But, and then the opener, the best in the league will play a team that was horrible <laughs> last year. That's a great marketing deal. Well, as you've said, too, about hard knocks, why would I want to learn more about a team that didn't make the playoffs the previous year? Yeah, but again, that's why the NFL, <laughs> my brother, they're genius. <laughs> I didn't watch last year's hard knocks. I'm not going to watch this year. Yeah. Um, unless Clay goes to camp. Now, if Clay goes to Thousand Oaks or wherever the hell they're at, now, uh, maybe. You know, and listen, I'm, I, I just kid with Cowboy fan. Um, I, I like that. Um, the little fat guy they have playing running back got in shape. I've seen some of his stuff on social media. He's really good. And all kidding aside, they got some outstanding talent on offense. And we'll see. I mean, they hired a guy. See, how does... No, nah, I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to go back and go, you know, um, the people they hire, they hired people who weren't even in the sport, weren't even active. And nobody thought that was crazy. And so the hiring practices of the NFL, I don't have to tell you. You wrote the book. You know what's going on. Yeah. You know, this is just, this is, come on, man. Yeah, and the guy playing running back is making $15 million a year and couldn't hold on to the football last year. So that'll be interesting to track. Did you see his season. belly? Oh, belly yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, dude, he's, seriously, he's, if you're talking about a guy, now that's talent. I mean, this kid is so talented. He looks like he didn't even work out at all. Yeah, he just showed up to camp. And but have you? Did you see any of his stuff on 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 social? Oh, it looks great. Oh yeah, of course. Oh my god. Of course. Oh my god. Yeah. So yeah, he decided to put tequila down. And um, I, I tell you what, he's really talented. You'll never hear me say 
he's not a badass. He might be the best. But that's what they have. And I, who, how can you not? How can you hate Prescott? How can you? He's likable. The rest of the team, not so much. Yeah, no, he's look, uh, look. The guy, I thought, I think he's the worst negotiator in our lifetime. I mean, this guy off the field was making damn near thirty grand, thirty million off the field. So he really, and they offered him whatever. I just thought he played his overplayed his cards because he's getting paid no matter what. It's the control of it. And then you go, I mean, who knows? But he'll, he'll get his money, and um, we'll find out. I think they get Zach Martin back. See, I'm not one of those guys that wants him hurt. I want him full strength. Well, my friend, it's great to hear from you. Always enjoy the conversation, and thank you so much for coming on. Be blessed, man, and hug them babies. All right, that will do it for you and me, but just for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Vacation week with vacation in quotation marks rolls along. Big show for Friday because Thursday is deadline day for the Washington football team to sign Brandon Sheriff to a multi-year contract of having slapped them with a non-exclusive franchise tag for a second consecutive offseason. And yes, I did say Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff. Yes, that guy. Commissioner Brandon Scherf. Uh, So full reaction on the next installment of the podcast to whatever happens between Washington and Sheriff. I have zero confidence that a multi-year deal will be reached. I think Washington franchise tagging Sheriff for a second straight year removed all impetus for him to want to sign a long-term contract, but we shall see. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. Have a great Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday.